The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the fact that fire... That's right. We talked about the fact that a burning heart always finds for itself... Okay, you're better, but a little slow there, all right? All right, let's try that one more time. We talked about the fact that a burning heart always finds for itself... A burning tongue, a flaming tongue. That's exactly right. After the service, several people said to me, I would love to share my faith, but I just don't know how. So the next several Sundays, we're going to take a few moments in the morning service, and we're going to talk about how to share your faith. When you came in, you should have received a card that looks just like this one. The front side is simple instructions. Number one, you need to know people want to know what did God do for you. Is he relevant today? Does it really matter in this culture and in this society? So you need to think about your testimony. I encourage people to write it down and rehearse it. Tell your story from the perspective of God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. When you're doing it, keep all the religious jargon out of it, all right? Don't talk about redemption. Don't talk about salvation. Talk about relationship with Jesus Christ. Keep it simple and keep it relevant. People want to know that what God has done for you, He can do for them as well. So I challenge you to write out your testimony, your story, rehearse it, memorize it, so that you can repeat it and tell it. That's what Peter told us, isn't it? He said, be always ready to give every man an answer for the faith, the hope that is in you. So you need to know your story, make it relevant, make it simple, and in that context, share the love of God with them. Now, people have said you need to know all of these scriptures. No, to share your faith, you need to know one scripture. That's on the back of the card. It's John 3.16. Can you say it with me? Everybody who has John 3.16 memorized, repeat it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but come to repentance, have everlasting life. So on the back of that card, you'll find the simple outline. How do I lead people to Christ? Number one, help them know God loves them. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that's all of us. It doesn't matter your culture, it doesn't matter your religious background, it doesn't matter the color of your skin or the language you speak. God loves every single one of us, so much so that he sent his only begotten son to die for our sins and tell them about Jesus. It's simple, it's easy, you know this stuff. He came, he died on the cross for my sins, he bore my punishment so that I wouldn't have to be punished, but so that I could be in right relationship with God. And then he goes on to say that whoever believes in him, the only qualification is believing in Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through all these classes, you don't have to go to this church, you don't have to be a member, you have to believe in Jesus Christ that he is the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead, that he is the sacrifice for my sins, believe in Jesus Christ, that we might be saved or given the promise, the hope of eternal life. It tells us that life is more than what we see right now. There is an eternity. In order for someone to understand, I need Jesus, they also have to understand there's an eternity. What you see isn't all that there is. So all you need to know is John 3.16. And apply it just that way. For God so loved, who did he love? Every one of us. No matter where we're from or what language we speak, no matter our religious background, he loves every one of us. So much so that he gave his only begotten son, whose name is Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins, to be the punishment 
for our sins so that we could be made right with him. And then he goes on to say that whoever believes in him, the only qualifier isn't being in the right church, being from the right family, it's believing in Jesus Christ. How do we believe in Jesus Christ? Well, Paul tells us that God has given to every man a measure of faith. So that tells me that every person, regardless of where they came from or who they are or where they're at, has the faith to believe in Jesus Christ should they choose to exercise it. Every person has the faith to believe that we might be saved. So in three minutes, that's how we win someone to Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Will you do that for me this week? Will you practice and rehearse your testimony? Write it down, get it smooth, keep it simple, keep it relevant, and keep it filled with the love of God. Show people that what God did for you, He will do for someone else as well, and be thankful that He is giving you a mouth to be a witness to Him. Amen? Take your Bibles this morning, and you can open them to Exodus chapter 2. We'll be there in just a few moments. Today I want to begin a series of messages entitled, and you can take that down because I'm not ready yet. We'll be there in just a few moments. Thank you. Today I want to begin a series of messages entitled, Exodus, the Story of Our Redeeming God. When you read the book of Exodus, you realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was written at a point in time when humanity was caught in a struggle for existence. When the people that God loved and God had covenanted with through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob found themselves in a place of extremely dire circumstances. Oppression, brutality, lack, that's what described Israel when they were 400 years in Egypt. They were not flourishing as the people of God, but rather they were slaves to a foreign master. When I think about these things, there are so many parallels, not only between us spiritually and Israel of old, but even between us as a nation and Israel of old. We're going to talk about some of these things as we move through this series. We need to understand that our God is still a redeeming God, that He has bought us back. Paul mentioned it twice in his first letter to the Corinthians when he said to them, you were bought with a price. What was the price? We understand that to be the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the price that was paid for your redemption and for mine. You see, the Bible is all about redemption. Some people think today that God is really about judgment. I came to tell you this morning, God is about redemption. The heart of God is to redeem, to buy back, to restore, to renew the heart of man to himself. The Bible is all about redemption. Matter of fact, throughout the scriptures, there are three words translated or interpreted redemption. The first means literally to buy or to purchase as in buying a slave or purchasing out of that, out of that uh, bondage and giving them freedom. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you and me at the cross of Calvary. He purchased us from the slavery of sin and set us free to live and serve for Him. The second word means that He has redeemed us to buy something for another purpose. Can I tell you that also applies to us. We have been redeemed for another purpose. We were living under the wages of sin and the penalty of sin, but we have been redeemed to live for God for another purpose and for another reason. The third word translated redeems means it's a to purchase or pay off a debt. Do we understand we owe a debt that we cannot pay? Songwriter a few years ago wrote, wrote that, didn't he? We owe a debt we can't pay. There's no way it will ever be satisfied. But through the sacrifice, the redeeming power of Jesus Christ, 
we have been redeemed. So when we think about redemption, this is what we need to know. Everyone needs a redeemer. Every man, woman, boy, and girl walking on the face of the earth needs a redeemer. Even the richest, the smartest, the strongest, the best educated, those who are greatly successful, everyone needs a redeemer. It applies to the entirety of mankind. No one is exempt from that. Everyone needs a redeemer. And when I read the book of Exodus, it shows me that God chooses to act and bring redemption to a people who recognize their need. He chooses to hear. He chooses to listen. He chooses to respond. He chooses to extend his hand into oppressed humanity to bring an answer and to bring relief. And may I say to you, if it was true in the book of Exodus thousands of years ago, it is true yet today. So as we walk through this series of messages, I want you to understand, it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you've got a hold of or what has a hold of you. If you will lift your voice and begin to cry out to a redeeming God, he will come to your aid. He will come to your rescue. He will prove that he is faithful, he is mighty, and most of all, he is able to bring a change into your circumstances and situations. He is a God of redemption. We are in trouble as a human nation, as a nation. We are living in a hostile culture. We see parallels between Israel and the USA. Israel went to Egypt to avoid a famine as a place of refuge. Isn't that correct? Where our forefathers came to America also looking for a place of refuge, a place of religious refuge, where they could escape the tyranny of a very hostile church and government towards them. They wanted to have the opportunity to worship God in freedom, in spirit, and in truth. Israel fled Canaan, the promised land where God had taken Abraham and blessed him with Isaac and then with Jacob, where he had promised to make him the father of many nations. He had taken him from that promised land because of the famine to Egypt, where Joseph, and we'll get into that story later, had already made provision for them. But may I say to you, God didn't intend for Israel to stay in Egypt. Their destiny was in the promised land, not in Egypt. Their destiny was in the place that God had already provided and already given, not in Egypt. And it's time for you and I to understand we don't need to camp out in that place of refuge. We need to come back to that place of promise and allow God to pour His Spirit out upon us one more time. The founders came to the United States of America seeking that place of religious refuge. And over the generations... What was established as a godly culture has transformed into something else. Matter of fact, I think it's very fair to say today that our culture is very much anti-God and anti-Christianity. So it's up to you and I to recognize that we are living in a hostile culture, in a hostile situation, but our God, even in that situation, is still a redeeming God. Israel went to Egypt seeking a place of salvation, a place where they would survive through that famine. But they settled there. They took what became a place of refuge and made it their residence, and they forgot about God because suddenly they're walking out of famine into a land of plenty. 
And they allowed the the momentary blessing to become what drove their lives. Can I tell you this morning, friends, it's always best to seek God and follow the plan of God. It wasn't God's will for Israel to be in Egypt for 400 years, even though he knew in advance that was going to happen. His will to help them to avoid the famine, to survive as a nation. When you read the story of Exodus, you realize that God knew what Israel was going to do before they ever went there. Boil it down a little bit further. God knew what Adam and Eve was going to do before they ever went into the garden, before he ever created them. He understood that at some point, we as mankind would need a Savior. And even though he understood what it would cost to buy that redemption, he chose to do it anyway. This is where you and I struggle in our theology. Because if I was God, I would never create man. Because all man's going to do is hurt me. All man's going to do is turn against me. All man's going to do is disobey me. But because God desired, and this is what you need to hear. Somebody needs to get this this morning. God desires a love relationship with you to the degree that regardless of what you've done, regardless of how difficult you have been, no matter how much you have disobeyed and turned your back on his promises and his commands, he loves you so much, he made a way for you before you were ever born, before you ever disobeyed, before you ever rebelled, before you ever turned your back on him, before you ever rose up against him. He made a way for you. And he's come to tell you this morning, he's still a redeeming God. He's a redeeming God. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me because I've rebelled. I've been disobedient. I've turned away. I've ignored his voice. Oh, it's good for me to know even when I don't listen, even when I refuse to obey, he still loves me and he still has paid the price for my redemption. He's a redeeming God. That's the story of the book of Exodus. So many times in Christianity, when we've been doing this for a little while, we begin thinking a little pervertedly. We start thinking about all I've sacrificed, all I've given up, all it's cost me to follow Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, if you will change your thinking, and begin thinking about all it's cost him, the great price that he has paid. If you'll begin thinking about the blood that was shed, the love that was expressed, oh, I'm here to tell you, it wasn't nails that held Christ to the cross. It was his love for you and me that caused him to become our redeemer. While we were, while we were yet sinners, Paul said, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, we need to understand it. He loves us. That's why he's a redeeming God. Is it because we deserve it? Absolutely not. I'm here to tell you, there's not a one of us walking in shoe leather that deserve the love of God. We just don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We'll never merit it. But because he loved us, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Can we understand Christianity isn't about what I've given up? It's about what he's given up. It's not about what I have paid or the cost I have incurred. It's about what he has paid and the cost he has incurred. It's about the fact that God in his foreknowledge chose to love you and me. Chose to be a redeeming God. Chose to make a way of escape. He chose to send his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Oh, that's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the book of Exodus. Our redeeming God coming to our aid, coming to our rescue. When you read the Old Testament, you'll see this theme of redemption woven throughout every book almost of the Old Testament. You can read back in Genesis of Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God redeemed him and his family. You can read of Abraham, who God called out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said, I'm going to make you a mighty nation and coveted with him. You can read of Isaac and of Jacob and how God met these men and did great things in and through their lives. You can read the story of Ruth. The greatest story of redemption pictured in the Old Testament is the book of Ruth. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to go home and read it this afternoon. You can read the story of Daniel. You can read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can read the story of David on and on and on and on. I could go. Our God is a redeeming God. He desires more than anything to show you and I his love, to show us that he has a plan for our lives. So when I read the book of Exodus, I'm seeing God as a redeeming God. Wednesday night, Bill Agner wrapped up the Harbinger series, and he concluded with this statement. We see the harbingers as warnings of judgment. And we know that in our society, in our nation, judgment of God has certainly come upon us. But this is what I love. He said, but God has placed his hand over his church. Come on, folks, you need to get that. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. I serve a redeeming God. I serve a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of power. Does that mean bad things aren't going to happen out there? No, it doesn't. Does that mean we're insulated from them? No, it doesn't. But it means no matter what I walk through, no matter where I go, no matter what my Egypt looks like, there is a God who is greater, who has covered me, who has favored me, who is protecting me, who is blessing me, who is prospering me. There is a God who has a higher word over my life than what the culture would like to say. Oh, somebody ought to shout amen. I'm going to preach myself silly if you don't help me out here this morning. It's a story of redemption. A story of redemption. What we see in the times of Israel, we also see in ours as well. There are times that God provides a safe harbor for us. I'm from Oklahoma, you all know that. And my ancestors have deep roots in western Oklahoma. My great-grandfather was a pioneer there. He went in and claimed his 160 acres before the land rushes opened that country to settlement to white people. He was there early. He staked out his property. Our roots go deep. But in 1932 through 1940, there were eight years of drought that swept across the Great Plains. It became known as the Dust Bowl. You may not be familiar with that point of history, but I am because my family lived through it. My grandfather, my dad's dad and mom, farmed just there in western Oklahoma. Things got so difficult during that drought that they couldn't stay there. And like thousands of other Okies, they packed up their beat-up ramshackle car, and they started heading west down Route 66 toward California. And they've told the story, I heard it many times growing up, how that they spent literally weeks on the road because they'd go five miles and the car would break down. They'd go five miles and a tire would go flat. They'd go five miles and then it would overheat thing after thing after thing. They camped out alongside the road on that journey. If you've never read Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, it tells the story very, very well. Finally, after a period of weeks, they arrived in Southern California. 
and they started looking for work and moved in with some family and friends and realized after a period of time this really wasn't the promised land. Really wasn't all they thought it might be cracked up to be. And my grandparents stayed for about two and a half years, and when the rain began coming in Oklahoma, they went back home and started farming again. You see, the point of that story is there are sometimes God provides for us a safe harbor. Sometimes He provides for us a place of refuge. But listen to me, He has no intention for you to make that your residence. It's just a refuge for a temporary period of time. You gotta move on to follow God. You gotta move on to pursue His will. You gotta move on to see what He's gonna do in your life and in your future. Your destiny is not in Egypt. Your destiny is in the promised land. You and I need to understand that today. Sometimes what God intended for a season, we make into a lifetime. Sometimes we're there because of good things happening in our lives. Sometimes we're there because of bad things that have happened into our lives. Sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes it's somebody else's fault. Sometimes it's just life. But the point is, don't turn into a lifetime what God intended for a season. You say, I've got to be careful how I say this. You need to understand, you may have had a problem with alcohol at one time. That does not mean you're going to be an alcoholic the rest of your life. I believe in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes and interrupts that cycle of sin, he delivers and sets free. And you don't have to walk around the rest of your days saying, I'm an alcoholic. No, you can say, I used to be. What am I saying? I'm saying don't build a life in the place that God intended only for a moment. Don't make a lifetime out of a season. Move on and let God do something good and great and mighty and powerful in and through your life. Sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes it's someone else's fault. But the point is, my present temporary circumstance will not be my future eternal circumstance as long as my eyes are on him and I keep moving forward. Don't build a house in Egypt, pitch a tent. Come on, don't build a house in your Egypt in that place of refuge, pitch a tent. Because you're saying, I'm a sojourner. I'm just moving through. This is not my home. My home is the promised land. It's not here. And we begin to move on and move forward. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, if you'll put that on the screen for me now, please. The Bible says these words. Now, there arose in Egypt a king who didn't know Joseph. I'm not going to go into all the background this morning. We'll deal with this in the weeks ahead. But you understand that Joseph was sent from Israel to Egypt to preserve a nation, his nation, the Israelites. And God used him, favored him. Did he go through some tough stuff? Yeah, folks, he went through some tough stuff. He dealt with false accusation. He was imprisoned falsely. He was forgotten by those who promised to remember him until finally the current Pharaoh or king had a dream that none of his wise men could interpret. And then one of his employees say, oh, you know, there's a guy down in the prison. He can interpret dreams. And they called for Joseph. And because of God moving in Joseph's life, let me back up. Because Joseph refused to give up on God's will for him. As a teenager, he knew that at some point, I'm going to be a ruler. At some point, I'm going to step into God's destiny. 
Let me say it one more time. Don't put a period where God has placed a comma. God has spoken things into your heart. He's spoken things into your life. It's not time to forget them. It's not time to walk away from them. But it's time to reach down inside you like Joseph of old and say, I know that God has something greater for me than prison. There is a destiny on my life and I will follow him. Took years to get there, but finally he was brought into the presence of Pharaoh. And then because of his wisdom and his ability to hear from God and interpret the dreams, he was placed second in command in the entire nation. And he began to set up refuge. He began to make a plan against the famine that was coming. And in the seven good years, he stored up grain. He stored up supplies so that when the famine came, they were ready. He also implemented forms of government to make that happen. So now we're years later. Joseph has died. And the Bible says there was a new king that arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now that statement has many ramifications. Number one, it tells us it wasn't just a new king. It was a change of dynasty. It was a whole separate regime coming in. Probably there had been some revolt, there had been rebellion, or someone had came in and conquered, one or the other. Anyway, the way it works is the person now in rule didn't remember what God did through Joseph. He didn't remember the provision that God made through this man. He didn't appreciate the form of government that Joseph had set up. Now, here's another application. We started as a Christian nation. But as we have developed through the centuries, we are now at a place where those in power often do not remember where we came from. Do not remember the tenets of faith upon which this nation is founded. So I'm here to tell you it's time once again to raise up the standard of God in America to declare we are a Christian nation founded on biblical principles and that's what we're going to pursue. This emperor, this king, didn't appreciate what Joseph had done. Moved away from those foundations. And the Bible says the first thing that he noticed is there's a whole bunch of these Israelites. And we're going to have a problem because if an enemy comes in, they may side with their enemy and they would overwhelm us. So what are we going to do about this problem? And when you read it in Exodus chapter 1, he decides that they're going to kill every male child. And then he decides we're going to put them in slavery and bondage. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But when you notice, 67 years is what history tells me, that first King Ramses ruled over Egypt. 67 years, the Israelites were oppressed. They were brutalized. They were forced into slave labor. 67 years, they toiled under this heavy yoke. And then you look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. From the message it says, many years later, the king of Egypt died. 67 to be exact. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Their cries for relief from their hard labor ascended to God. Now hear me. It doesn't matter how difficult your circumstance. It doesn't matter how dire things are against you. If you will follow the pattern of Israel, if you will begin to cry out to God, God is going to hear you. Their cries for relief ascended unto God is what the scripture tells me. goes on in verse 24 to say these words, God listened to their groanings. I want you to hear that. If you have your Bible open, underline that. God listened. 
There's a lot of folks in the world today that thinks that God doesn't listen. I'm here to tell you, God listened, and I'm going to prove that to you from Scripture in just a second. God listened to their groanings, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. What did He remember? He remembered He promised to make them a great nation. He remembered He promised to make them a nation that would bless all nations of the earth. His destiny, let me say it one more time, was not that Israel be slaves in Egypt. His destiny was in the promised land. His destiny was in a land flowing with milk and honey. His destiny is that they would be a people that would bless all nations. Oh, come on. Get that stinking thinking out of your mind. God doesn't want you broke. God doesn't want you poor. God doesn't want you oppressed. God doesn't want you to be a slave in this economy and in this society. His promise for you is the promised land. A place where you know plenty. A place where you know provision. A place where His hand rests upon you. And you can say, my God is a redeeming God. He remembered his covenant. He remembered his covenant. And the next verse goes on to say, God saw what was going on with Israel. And God understood. God saw and God understood. Today and then a week from today, we're going to deal with those four things. God's reaction to the cry of the Israelites. So first and foremost, let's talk about the fact that God listened. And let's make an application to our society today. If we start calling out to God, we have no reason to expect Him to help us. If our mouths are silent, if our voices are not heard in the heavenlies, we have no reason to expect Him to come to our aid or to come to our rescue. Let me take it one step further. If we're looking for answers and solutions to our problems in every other arena but not looking for God, we have no reason to accept, expect divine help or divine intervention. We can call the doctor, we can call the hospital, we can call the accountant, we can call our financial planner, we can call our family, we can come to the church and we can say, I need, I need, I need, I need. But folks, until we direct our cries to the one who cares, to the one who hears, to the one who will answer, you're not going to get the answer you're looking for. But if you as Israel of old will begin crying out to God, I've come to tell you, he listens. He listens. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, And if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves. You see, a part of calling on God is we have to humble ourselves. We have to recognize, I don't have the answers. I can't do this on my own. I don't have what it takes to solve this situation. Every morning, I lay on my face before God, and I say, God, I don't have the answer." I don't know how to do this. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold. But Lord, this much I know, my eyes are upon you. And when you say go, we're gonna go. When you say stop, we're gonna stop. We're gonna follow the living God in this place. I don't have the answers, but He does. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, call on His name, ask Him for help, beseech the heavens, humble themselves and pray. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins. And what's the last phrase in that verse? Then I will heal their land. Oh, church, it's time for you and I as Americans to call on God again. It's time to take him at his word and to understand he still listens. 
question is, are we calling? Are we calling? You know, we talk about God listening, and sometimes we kind of put God in the same category as those around us. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, and you're just sharing your heart with them, you're telling them all these great things, and suddenly you realize they're not with you? Oh, physically, they're in front of you, but mentally, they checked out about 20 minutes ago. Ever been in that situation? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of disconcerting, isn't it? Because you realize, I just wasted 20 minutes of my life telling somebody what I thought they needed to hear, and they checked out. That's what we do as humans. Oh, if you're interesting to me, I'm going to listen. But if you're not, i got other things to do. God's not that way. God listens. When you call on his name, he attunes his ear to your cry. He listens. He listens. What does Jeremiah 33, 3 say? Call on me. I will hear and answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You don't have the answer for tomorrow? There's the remedy. Call on a living God. There's the solution. Call on a living God. Because he said to Jeremiah, if you call on me, I will answer and show you what you don't know. That's the answer today to our culture, to our situation, to our lives. It's to call on God because God listens. Throughout the scripture, we see that God listens. You can find it in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah was the prophet of God. Ahab and Jezebel were ruling the kingdom of Israel. Very, very wicked people. Introduced all types of false worship. God said to Elijah, it's time to call the people of Israel back to true worship. So you know the story, he went to Mount Carmel. He told Ahab and Jezebel, bring your false prophets. 400 of them came. And then he said to them, and look at the odds, 400 to 1. It was just Elijah and his servant. Don't forget his servant, but his servant didn't have a lot of faith, you know. Just Elijah standing there. He said, bring it on. And then he said these words to them that are on the screens. You call on the name of your God, and they were serving a God called Baal, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, let him be the God. And then you know the story. They built their altar. They prepared their sacrifice. They began praying and chanting and hollering and yelling and cutting themselves and all the things that false worship brings into someone's life. And there was no response and no answer from their God. So then Elijah, he was kind of a mean little devil when you read the Scripture, started poking the bear, you know. Look at it in verse 27. He goes on to say these words from 1 Kings chapter 18. Hey, maybe you need to shout louder. Your God can't hear you. Maybe his hearing aid is turned off. Now that resonates with some of you, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe his hearing aids are turned off. Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe you went to the toilet. Maybe you need to shout louder so your God will hear you. Maybe he's taking a nap and you need to wake him up. He's poking the bear. What's he doing? He's saying, your God is never going to answer. I'll give you all these excuses, but he's never going to hear. Finally, he said, at the time of the evening sacrifice, enough is enough. And he called on the name of the Lord God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God that showed up in Egypt to rescue and redeem the children of Israel. He called on the name of the God who said, I am that I am. He called on the name of the mighty one. 
And the Bible says fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, consumed everything that was there, licked up the water that was in the trench around the sacrifice, proving there is a God in the heaven who is watching over Israel. God listens. He listens. Listen, God has said, even when you're faithless, I'm going to be faithful. Even when you blow it, I will never blow it. He is faithful at all times. He is faithful to His Word. He hears us. He responds to us so that He can come to our aid and come to our rescue. When you read the Scriptures, you understand God identifies. He knows our doubts and our fears. He understands sometimes it's very, very difficult for you and I to stand in faith and call on Him. But it's not just today's problem. It's a problem of humanity. That's why the Scripture says in Psalm chapter 4, verse 3, The Lord hears when I call Him. Psalm 5, 3, Lord, You heard my voice. Psalm 6, 8, The Lord has heard my weeping. I've come to tell you today, God listens. God listens. All He's waiting for is for you to call on Him. He's waiting for you to lift up His name and invoke His help and ask for His aid to come to your rescue. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, the Bible says this, Come unto me, all ye that weary and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So many times we say it's so difficult to live for God. That's not what the Word says. The Word says my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's time for you and I as God's people. Tom, would you come back, please? You and I as God's people to stand up and say, my God is able. I will call upon the name of the Lord. He will hear and answer me. When Israel began to cry out to God because of their oppression, God listened. God listened. Stand your feet with me across this place this morning. You're in this room today. You've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to come into your life, to redeem you, to buy you back from sin and give you hope for tomorrow. You've never asked Him to do that for you, but today God is saying, He's talking to you. There's this pounding in your chest, and that's the Holy Spirit talking to you, encouraging you, drawing you to let Jesus come in. You're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to be redeemed from sin. I want to be a people who have been ransomed. And my life has the potential and the ability to change. I don't want to be what I am today the rest of my life. I need transformation through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's you. God's talking to you. So right now, He's waiting on you to respond to Him, to call out to Him. Because when you call out, He comes to your aid and He comes to your rescue. That's you across this room this morning. If I'm talking about you right now, God's dealing with you right now, slip up your hand and say, pray for me right where you stand. Across this room this morning, slip up your hand, pray for me. I need Jesus. Yes, someone else. Yes, someone else. Yes, yes, anyone else as I wait a moment. Yes, someone else. Anyone else as I wait just another moment. I need Jesus in my life. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand this morning. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Anyone else as I wait a moment. 
Every one of you who raised your hand, I want you right now where you're at, we're going to take a step of faith that says, I'm going to call on God. I want you to step out from where you're at and come and meet me right here. Everyone with their hand raised. Come right now. Come right now. Don't wait. Don't wait for somebody else. Come on. You said, I need Jesus. You come this morning. This is your opportunity. Yeah, from the very back. Come this morning. Yes. Others. Anyone else you want to come this morning? You need Jesus. You need Jesus to redeem you, to rescue you, to ransom you. Anyone else? I'll wait another moment for you. Come on, young lady. God bless you. Anyone else? Praise God. You want to call on the name of the Lord who hears, who listens. Yes, come on, young lady. Welcome. Come on. Anyone else? You want to call on the name of the Lord because he hears when you call on him. He forgives. Yes, amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? As I wait just a moment, this is your time. It's your day. It's your hour. It's the day to call on the name of the Lord because he listens. Anyone else? So wait just another moment. All right, those of you standing here, look directly at me. We're going to pray a prayer together. There is no power in the prayer. The power is in the faith that you express towards Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he is the son of the living God? Do you believe that he died on the cross and on the third day rose again from the dead for your sins? And do you believe when you ask him, he will forgive you? Do you believe that? All right, then across this room, pray this prayer with me this morning. Dear Jesus... I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that through your sacrifice, I am cleansed and made whole. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. Change me. I don't want to be the person I am. I want to be changed today. Let your transforming power be applied to my life in Jesus name the Bible says with our heart we believe in the salvation with our mouth confession is made so right now would you just open your mouth and say thank you for saving me Jesus thank you for redeeming me thank you for rescuing me thank you for forgiving me thank you for what you're doing in my heart and in my life welcome to the family of God Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 